Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Today's scripture reading is from Acts 9, 36 through verses 39. Be reading from the New King James Version. It's on page 1695 in the Pew Bible. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by, by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Good morning. God is good. All the time. You may not mean anything to the world, but you mean the world to someone. Oftentimes we really don't know what we mean to people or how a person meant to others, uh, sadly, until their funeral. There have been a few times that when I attend certain funerals, you hear stories and you think, well, man, I wish I'd have known them better. There was uh, recently uh, the grandson of Rosalind Carter was eulogizing his grandmother, and he said some things, and as I was listening, I thought, man, she must have been a real fine lady. Now, we always, those of you that were alive then when uh, Jimmy was president, you know how she carried herself and how she presented herself. And sometimes that's all that we know about people, but then you hear these little stories, and the little stories give you a little glimpse into who they really were. And so some of the things that he said that I really just loved, he said that every year at his birthday, she sent a card and a $20 bill. And he said she never failed doing that because even on his 45th birthday, he got a card with a $20 bill. And I thought that's such a grandmother thing to do. And then he went on, he said that they, uh, the family was taking a plane ride. And when they all got there, and it was a commercial uh, ride that they were taking, so they all were on the plane, and once they got seated and they were in the air, she gets out this big tub, Tupperware rather, of pimento cheese, and she pulls out a loaf of bread, and then she starts making pimento cheese sandwiches for the family, and after she had made them for the family, she kept on making them and was handing them out to the various other passengers. Now, you know somebody somewhere is going to say, you know what, Rosalind Carter once made me a pimento cheese sandwich on a plane. I'll get out of here. You're nuts. But you hear that and you go, that's a very grandmotherly thing to do. I think one of the most interesting things <clears throat> of which I was unaware was she had, I don't know if she did it herself, but she orchestrated this, but from the border of Mexico to Canada, she had uh, uh, organized where various gardens were strategically placed for the monarch butterfly so that they could take their little pilgrimage. And you think, that is, just, that is just fascinating. Now, you may think, this is boring. Well, 
okay, I thought it was real interesting to learn this little bit about this, uh, this lady. And you kind of afterwards, you go, man, I, she really would have been a fine lady. She sounded like a fine lady. And obviously, to her grandson, she really was. Stephanie and I were watching a movie earlier this week. It was called uh, Fry Bet... Uh, <laughs> I'll get it right. Fry Bread Face and Me. Uh, odd name for a movie, you would think. Fry bread is something that Indians eat a lot. And, you, you know, you've got your burritos, your tortillas for tacos. Well, Indians, we make fry bread and make our taco out of that. But anyway, so this, this little boy, he was about 11 or 12 or something. He and his mother and father lived in San Diego, California. And that's all that he'd ever known. And so he is, uh, uh, his mother sends him back to her mother to stay the summer there at the Navajo Reservation. And he's there, and of course, his maternal grandmother doesn't speak a lick of English, but she talks to him like, she, like he knows what she's saying. And so it goes on, and, and there's various interactions with him and his cousin. By the way, his cousin's nickname is Fry Bread Face because it's, they said her face is round and greasy. I thought, well... Stephanie's like, that's hateful. I'm like, Indian people don't cut each other slack. You know, uh, uh, insults and ribbing is, uh, it's a love language. But anyway, various scenes throughout, you have this grandmother explaining different things about their culture, about their heritage. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, you know, this, this really makes me uh, think of my grandmother. And, you know, I'm seeing this and I'm going, these kids don't get it right now. And it's not until you're older that you're going to go, I wish I had that around. Because I didn't appreciate it when I was young, but now that I'm older, I long for it. And I think, did I ever let her know what she meant to me? Aside from the, I love you, I love you too, right? Everybody does that. But do we tell the people that we know and that we love what they really mean to us? Look at the last line. And all the widows stood by him weeping. They stood by him weeping. They were showing him the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made for them. That's what she meant to these widows. If your Bible's open to Acts chapter 9, we'll look at this passage and probably a little bit more but I want to give you a little bit of a, a setting before we go right into making sense of this passage and drawing out some application. My hope and my aim, though, today is that this would be an encouraging lesson for all of us. Like I said at the start, you may not mean anything to the world, but you mean the world to someone. Never forget that. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Now, Joppa, was, it's a port town, and at that time, it was a boundary between an area where Jews lived and Gentiles lived. So you're right there on the cusp. You, you could think of it as the, the United States-Mexico border in a manner of speaking. Now, previously, Peter was in Lydda, and he had healed a fellow by the name of Aeneas there. And you can imagine this healing that he did, it kind of word spread pretty quickly in those days. They didn't have uh, cable news, but they... They, they had their methods of, of uh, spreading news themselves. So this is the setting. This is where it is. And now, I, I didn't know this, but this is the only time in all the Bible that a woman is explicitly called a disciple of Jesus. That doesn't mean that there weren't 
other women disciples, but Tabitha is explicitly called a certain disciple. The only woman ever given that, so you make of that what you will. Her name Tabitha is it's from an Aramaic uh, word. Dorcas is from Greek. Both names mean gazelle. You think of a gazelle and, and the beauty and all the positive associations you can have, and that's why her parents named her that. Now, we notice that she is known for her good works, verse 36, and for her charitable deeds. Now, I want you to take note of what she is not known for. She is not known for her politics, what she believes about this or that. She's not known for her stances on various issues, though she probably had opinions on a lot of things. She's not known for how much of the Bible she could quote or that she knew. Think about the things that we, we present ourselves as. Do those things overshadow our devotion to Jesus as a follower of him, as a disciple? So, okay, everybody knows this about you. Why don't they know that I'm a Christian? Why don't they know that I'm a disciple of Jesus? I mean, yeah, that's just a part of me. But the whole of me, I would hope people would understand that I'm a disciple of the Lord. Just like her, she's a disciple of the Lord. She's known for good works and charitable deeds. She probably never preached a sermon in her life, but her life was a sermon that was preached as she lived it. The things sometimes that we elevate and measure a person by, they can matter. But who we are in God's eyes is what matters the most. Maya Angelou is noted for saying this, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And that is in this way positive because Tabitha uh, made these ladies feel very special. And in that time, widows, if you didn't have, of course, if your husband passed away and if you didn't have a son in, in this uh, patriarchal society, if you didn't have a son to plead your cause, to take care of you, you were defenseless, especially in the eyes of the law. And so to have someone uh, at, like Tabitha or Dorcas in a position where she had means and she could use those means to help these widows, it meant the world to them. Because sometimes widows and widowers feel as if they're the most overlooked, even today. And in that time, they really were. They really were overlooked. They contribute nothing. If anything, they are a drain on society. But you have people that were charitable and people just like Dorcas who did these things and meant so much to these women. Now, I'm very thankful that here we have at the, the behest of, of Lake and Falwell and others uh, the Daughters of Dorcas, where our young ladies get together and they follow in the footsteps of this lady, this sister of ours who's long gone to join the Lord, Dorcas. They do these things and it's always neat because you walk in, whenever they're doing their thing, if you walk in, you'll notice all these little bitty girls, some of them a little bit, not little bitty, a little bit taller, but then you see a variety of different women and you look and you go, well, I never knew she had an interest in that. Well, I didn't know she sewed. And, but, but they're helping them and giving them an example. And you may think, oh, it's just a little thing. But I guarantee you, when those girls become women, they will never forget the time they spent over there as daughters of Dorcas. 
And they will, God willing, continue that work as time marches on if the Lord allows and if the Lord wills. So in those days, Tabitha dies. They wash her body. They even anoint her body for burial. Now, in that time, it was disrespectful to leave a corpse unburied overnight. The, the, the funeral process was very quick. So if you passed away on a day, your body would be prepared, and rather swiftly would you be buried. And obviously, that has a lot to do with heat conditions, uh, the climate, the environment. And so <clears throat> the fact that, that, they're, that they're holding her for a period of time and they go to Peter and they say, don't delay, come to us quickly. You know, they wanted Peter to get there before they had to actually bury her. Now, he had healed Aeneas in Lydda and word had spread. And so he was probably, let's see, the, the distance between the cities is 12 miles. So if he walked those 12 miles, depending on how fast he walked, you know, he's looking at about a four or five hour walk between the two cities just to give you a point of reference. Then Peter rose, verse 39, and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made them while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa. So here's, I want to give various points of application. The first of which is that we notice that we all have a place. Sometimes we may not know how people feel about us, and they never say it until we're gone. That's okay. If we live for the approval of people, we'll die whenever they disapprove. Tabitha lived faithfully to God first and had a heart for widows. That was her place. And so we also have a place and we need to find it in God's grace. Turn to your Bibles. If you're in the book of Acts, go right. And Romans is the very next book. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Romans 12, beginning with verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace uh, that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You know, some of these you go, well, I'm real good at that, and I'm real good at the other. And I, you know, how many of you want to become a preacher? Yeah. Does that make you a bad Christian? No. But you have your place, I have my place. How many of you want to be a song leader? John, (laughs) Daniel, Derek, Beanie, there are just a few. Not everybody wants to do that. Does that make you a bad Christian? No. It means you've got a place. So when you find your place, then you put yourself into service, wherever that is. Tabitha had this place, and her place was making garments and caring for widows. And in those ancient days, you know, sometimes you could be a patron or a benefactor, and that's probably what she was. 
So secondly, just because we don't do what others do, it doesn't mean we don't love God. Now, there are a lot of Christians that would shame other Christians because they don't do what they think they should do. And here's what I mean by that. I had a missionary to the Philippines ask me years ago, he said, would you be interested in taking a trip to the Philippines? At the time I was working on my degree, I said, well, I said, it's not going to happen until, you know, I finish with my degree. That's my priority. And uh, so he said, oh, I understand that. And he said, uh, you know, can I touch base with you later? Sure. So we had just moved here and we're done. And you know, we connected and he was like, how would you feel about that mission trip now going to the Philippines? I said, you know, I said, I remember you asking me about it. I said, but I, I just don't, for some reason, I just don't have the burning desire to go to the Philippines. I'm glad you do. I don't. Does that make me a bad Christian? No. Some of you may say, why wouldn't you want to go to the Philippines and evangelize? I, well, he's, this guy's already doing it. He's got a whole thing established. And I'm glad that he does. I'm glad that Don Iverson likes to go to India. I'm glad that we got a group here that loves to go to Honduras and to Haiti. But for whatever reason, I have no burning desire to leave the country to go. But I'm glad we got people that do that. And so if you'd want to go, well, what kind of Christian are you? I'd go, well, why don't you get up here and preach? Oh, I can't do that. Oh, what kind of Christian are you? So instead of this whole shaming aspect, let's just go, okay, this is where his heart lies. This is where her heart lies. And, and we're all members of this body, but we each have different functions. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, I'm going to read a good bit here, verses 12 through 26. Because again, a little bit similar to the previous passage, but it is making the overall point. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For... By one spirit, we were all baptized into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I am not of the body, it's therefore not of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on these bestow greater honor, and our unrepresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So we all have a place and we all have a purpose too. Whatever that might be. Some people are moved to be preachers, elders, song leaders. Some are moved to be Bible 
teachers. Others do other things. And the one thing that I hate, and we've adopted this mindset, the one thing that I hate is for some reason, this position right here that I occupy as a minister is somehow elevated as if it's more important than anything else in the church. It is important, but it is no less important than those who do whatever else they may do. Those who work over at caring and sharing, that is a very important work. Those who organize the, the, uh, uh, the pennies for the pantry, that is an important work. Daughters of Dorcas, the young men, those are important works. Everybody has a place. Everybody has a purpose. And we all have a person. You could probably think of a person that means so much to you. And whenever things are down, you know that this is the one that you can go to. You can fall back on them. They're a sympathetic ear. They actually care. I love the exhortation of Proverbs 12, 25. The way of the fool, whoops, that's verse 15. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Sometimes people wonder if they're making a difference or if they're just spinning their wheels in the mud. People are exhausted, they're stressed, they're burnt out. They're thinking, I'm not really making a difference. It may only take one encouraging word or card or text, something to let somebody know how special they are and how important they are. I know we all need it. I've got a, a, a drawer in my desk in the office here. If you're sitting at the desk, it's the top left drawer. You open that drawer it's full of cards, it's full of notes, not any of the fan mail that I sometimes receive. I throw that and I chuck that in the trash. But these are all the cards and notes that people have written encouraging me. And so anytime that I feel a little low, I'll open that drawer and I'll pull those out and I'll go, you know what, you have done some good. You, you have, God has used you in this person's life, that person's life, whatever the case may be. So. Okay, don't give up. Keep on plugging along. And I think we need to make sure that we let people know just how precious they are to us, how important they are. Yeah, it's nice to say I love you and mean it. But think about the things you've heard at funerals and ask yourself, have I said that to this person? or to that one. And it could be your spouse, it could be your children. We came down the aisle, I was giving Bree to John, and right before I, you know, we had rehearsed this, but, you know, but right before I gave, I gave her, I turned to her and I had to tell her something. And I told her, I said, I want you to know that I'm very proud of you. I'm proud to be your dad, and I'm very proud that God has given you John, and I love you. Everybody's like, what'd you say to her? I said, mind your business. But now I've told you. But I thought, you know, I am so proud of her. And I need to let her know it. And you know, I remember when I was 18, we had uh, graduated from high school. And that summer we went on a mission trip to Biloxi, Mississippi. 
my dad works in the lumber business and he had been talking with this trucker and they, they often talked about, this trucker would come and get loads of lumber and they would talk about the Bible, they would talk about God and various things, became real close friends. And so they, they got up this idea to have a little, uh, uh, a little uh, mission trip for their youth group at, at the church there where he lives in Mississippi. Now apparently where this guy lives, you have two choices as to what you can do in life. You can be a farmer or you can be a trucker. That's it. And so we get down there and we meet all these kids. And uh, it, it was a, they were country as cornbread. I love to hear them talk. This, this, this one little fellow, he go, hey, Mr. Bell, talking to my dad. But we went to Old Charlie's. How many of you have been to an Old Charlie's or something like that, right? We got to Old Charlie's, and those kids thought they were in a five-star restaurant. They had never been in something that nice. And I thought, wow, how spoilt am I? But so Daddy did the devotionals. I did the song leading, and Mom made all these nice little gift, gift uh, baskets or whatever for all the kids. And... You know, several of them came to faith in the Lord, and we walked right across the street from where we were staying, and uh, a great percentage of them, I think there might have been 20-something, there's probably about 13, 14 of them that, that gave their lives to Christ, and, and we baptized them in the ocean. That was the neatest thing ever. And we were walking back, and as we were walking back, Daddy put his arm around me, and he said, I'm proud of you, I love you. And I looked, I said, you know, I think that's the first time you've ever told me that you love me. And he stopped. He said, is it? I said, I think so. But I love you too. Some of y'all probably grew up with daddies like that. You knew it, but they just never said it. But it's different when you actually hear it. James Harrison is proof that small actions can have huge impacts. Harrison was sometimes called the man with golden arms because his blood donations have helped save the lives of over 2.4 million infants, including his own daughter. When he was 14, he underwent surgery to remove one of his lungs, and as he recovered, the doctors explained to him he was able to survive the surgery because of the high volumes of blood donations they had. He was very thankful for the contribution of random strangers saving his life, so he vowed that once he was eligible, once he became of age, that he would donate blood every chance that he got. So he turned 18, and he started donating blood, and doctors realized that Harrison's blood carried unusual antibodies that helped treat a blood disorder called rhesus. I think is how you pronounce it, R-H-E-S-U-S. -S. If I've got that wrong, that's okay. So his body, uh, body, his blood contained these unusual antibodies that helped treat that blood disorder. And for infants, that can be a fatal disease. And for years, the medical community was unable to find treatment. It's kind of neat that one guy, because of how he was so blessed by the generosity of others, was in turn able to bless so many others. But Jesus shed his blood for us. And he shed his blood for sin something that we all are carriers of. But for those of us who have obeyed the gospel and made Jesus our Lord, thankfully the blood has cleansed our sins and washed that away. So I offer you an invitation. And I'll tell you this, uh, make a decision because the road is full of indecisive squirrels. Stephanie about created one this morning. That poor little fella ran out and we both went, 
and then we didn't feel the... <clears throat> so he got away. But make a decision. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you have faith that He died on the cross and rose from the grave, be willing to confess that faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent, turn away from your sins, turn to the Lord. Be buried with Him in baptism where your sins are washed away and you become new. If you've obeyed that gospel before and you've not remained faithful to the Lord or maybe you think you need to do better, you know, all you need to do is confess your sins as John says, and he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to wash you from all uncleanness. But if you have either of these that we can help you with this morning, all you need to do is make your way to the front as we stand together and sing.